Hey guys, it's Cheska, and welcome to the Aspiring Composer Podcast, a show dedicated to aspiring media composers who want to be informed and inspired without the cost of going to music school. What you're about to hear is a Q&A session I held with Tarn Mitchell on how he turned his passion for composing into a full-time career. Tarn is a self-taught composer based in Ireland. Instead of going to music school, he studied film production at university. There, he met film directors and quickly built a great portfolio that he used to show clients. One day, while working part-time at a production company, Tarn got his first opportunity ever to score for a TV show for the Discovery Channel. He got the job, and today, he has composed for MGM, BBC Northern Ireland, and the History Channel. Cannot wait for you to hear the conversation. Let's dive in. Tarn, what's up? Jessica, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Cool. Yeah, I can hear you fine. How are you doing? Doing good. I could not sleep last night. I was too excited. <laughs> I was like, oh man, like the, I've never done this before, first of all. And then also yeah. I felt like this, this is really unique. I don't really see anyone doing this. And especially no. amongst like, you know, young composers, because I feel like everyone is just kind of like working relentlessly at trying to, you know, start their career. And no one really stops to like, you know, share the, the helpful tips along the way because it's very no. competitive. Listen, I, I, I follow, um, I'm sure everyone in the chat will uh, be similar. I, I, I very follow, I follow very closely Christian Henson from Spitfire Audio. And mm-hmm, he mm-hmm. is, he is, he is a absolutely fantastic YouTube channel. Um, and uh, as I said, I'm sure a lot of the people who are watching right now will, will be the same. Um, and he said uh, a very poignant quote that I, I always remember. And he just said, if your job is fun, you know, if, if your job is fun to do, it will be competitive. And that's just the way it is. You know, being a composer is is a dream for for many people. It's it's the best job in the world as far as I'm concerned. And uh, if, if a job is fun to do, if you can get up in the morning and, and, and get excited to go to work, I mean, it's going to be competitive. And And as you've said, getting into the game and making it into a successful career is extremely challenging and and it's hard and i agree with you that there are very very limited resources out there to to help young composers you know unless you end up going to uh you know a school or university that specifically specializes in teaching you how to be a film composer but even then i don't think it truly prepares you for the real world you know no no definitely not like actually i've been talking to a lot of composers like over the past 2 years of me working towards like my own dream. But yeah. what I found was that even people that went to school for film composing, they left yeah. not, you know, really understanding how to get jobs consistently. Like I find that a yeah. lot of composers, they do things on the side. And actually, if you look online, a lot of people will say like, making a living is optional. Having a side job yeah. is normal, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And like for any young composer that like decides like this is what I want to do and they make a Google search, the first things that they will find are like you yeah. must master X, Y, Z before you are ready to score a film. You, yeah. you must do all of this, go to school, like it'll increase your chances. But like you didn't go to music school. No, uh, you know, it's very much like a comparison I'd related to uh, if you're sick or, or you, ha- you know, you feel unwell. The worst thing you can possibly do is to Google the symptoms that you have because nine times out of ten, it's going to tell you you're going to die. Yeah, or that you have some sort <laughs> I like of that. or that yeah, or that you have some sort of terminal illness, which nine times out of ten is just you know it's rubbish. It's not true at all. Um, 
it, you know, doing the searching, as you said, I, I did it myself a couple of years ago um, when I was trying to learn how to do this myself. And it's just the information you read. It, it, it almost gets you angry. It almost makes you frustrated. There's, there's no one sort of encouraging you. Uh, it all seems very, very negative. Um, and as I've said, there are uh, YouTube channels and people I've met along the journey. Um, I do, there's another one that stands out apart from Christian Henson. I'm sure uh, a lot of people in the chat would watch him as well. His name's Guy Michelmore. Mm -hmm. I love he him. Is, yeah. <laughs> oh, he, I mean, he is the life and soul of, of the composing community as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. uh, he is just a fantastic human being. Yeah. He is super, super enthusiastic, um, uh, super energetic, always happy. And he makes you know, his videos where when it, if it's about composing or it's about music theory, he makes it fun and he makes you excited to learn. And that's what it should be. It shouldn't be negative. Because uh, if you're negative all the time, you're not going to get anywhere, are no. you? <laughs> that's the main thing. Yeah. All right. Well, that was a great intro. So let's talk about yeah. you now. So you are based in Ireland, which, you yeah. know, you're not in LA you're not in London you're not no. you're not anywhere near like filmmaking hub so that was incredible to learn about because I think it'll make your story just so much more relatable and then yeah. you graduated in 2020 with a degree in film studies not music yeah. and you like to say no. that you have an unofficial one in music like what, what do you mean by that oh uh, I mean it's it's always a funny question. Everyone asks me, they're like, oh, so did you go to music school? And I'm like, no, you know, I didn't, I didn't study music. I didn't, I didn't do any of that. And they're like, okay, what did you study? And I say, I, I studied film production and, and everyone's usually very confused and they ask me why. Um, but to be honest with you, Cheska, it was a tactical move. Yeah, um, I knew it. <laughs> I, I, pur I purposely didn't go to music school because uh, if I'm quite honest, I, I suck at music theory. I suck at it. And I, I'll be the first person to admit that. I find it extremely difficult to read music. I always have done, even though I studied, I, I played the piano growing up all the way since I was, you know, five years old. Mm -hmm. Always struggled with reading music, always struggled with music theory. In my head, it was just two different things. The theory and the actual composing and music part of it were just disconnected in my head. I, I could never pair them together, um, which was a very confusing thing. Um, so I knew that I had a suspicion if I went to study at a music school, um, they would almost not force you maybe, but definitely try to push you in the direction of using theory, which is not a bad thing, but that's not what I was looking for. I've never wanted to be pushed into a mold of people telling me how I should learn because mm -hmm. I just don't think there is one way to learn. I think there's many, many, many ways to learn. Um, so I went and studied film production instead and, and, and everyone's like, why did you do that? And as I said, it was a tactical move because in my head, as a composer, if I'm going to film school, I'm going to meet directors and producers, and I'm going to learn how to talk to these people. I'm going to learn how to communicate. They're going to need music for all their films that we're creating. So very quickly, I became sort of the number one guy to go to for sound design, for original scores. And it gave me the biggest head start in terms of creating a portfolio and things like that. And when I came out of uni, I mean, I had to do very little. I already had a portfolio of over 10 films that were really high standard that I could show to clients. And it definitely gave me a good head start. And I also, like we mentioned earlier, when you said you come out of even music school and you're not really sure how to communicate with a client or how to actually get work, it, it helped me so much because I knew exactly what I needed to say to a director, how to work with a director, how to work with a producer, how to work with the editor, 
I had already all these etiquettes that you that are essential to working on any film or TV production. I already had them in place. So it was extremely beneficial for me. Um, I don't regret it one bit. Uh, but that, yeah, that's kind of the first part of my story anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I read that, I was like, like, I, I can tell, Taryn, you're, you're a very strategic, resourceful person and your creativity, which I love, is not so much in like just your composing, but the way you search for opportunities and find things that people aren't thinking about. And so, yeah. like, I just love that part of your story. Yeah, it's essential. It's essential to have an edge. You know, as we talked about earlier, this industry that we're all trying to be in right now, it's extremely competitive. There are so many people doing it. And the things that are going to separate you from everyone else are, you know, trying to find those things that people aren't doing, trying to go that extra mile, be, be interesting, create content that other people aren't creating, be engaging. These are all things that are going to help you become better and uh, become better than the opponents. I, I don't like to say opponents <laughs> because I, I think originally when, whenever I got into the, the whole composing thing and I started to, to link up with other Instagram accounts, I, I sort of had that immediate reaction of, oh, I, you know, these guys are my competition, you know, uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm sure everyone knows Samuel Kim. I think uh, yeah, this guy, yeah. he's, he's a composer on YouTube. And I, I remember when I first started watching him, I, I just, I, I, I was, I was red with jealousy. You're like, I mean, damn, I, he's I, good. I, I, I can never. Damn, this guy, this guy's amazing. And he stays up all night drinking Red Bull and he gets track after track done and he gets millions of views. And I, I remember originally, you know, last uh, one and a half years ago when I started watching him, I was like, wow, this guy's a, massive competition and i hated him i i hated him i have to say and and slowly over the past year i've really turned that around to go it's we're not we're not against each other we're not enemies we all have to work together here and it's about learning and bouncing off each other and but you do need to step you need you do need to keep one step ahead and that's why i try to be creative with the content i post and things like that like you mentioned yeah going off of what you just said with the competitiveness i actually slowly adopted this view that like you know films are being made every single day it's not going away but I think that today with you know the internet and everything there's never been a greater time to start your career and get access to someone making a film like I've actually been recommending to people if you still haven't gotten your first client Go on Kickstarter, go on Indiegogo, go on places where people are raising funds to make movies and then contact them. And, you know, that took a bit of creativity because it's not like you can just log onto the site and there's a job board and it's like looking for a composer. I'm like, no, No. what I do is actually I, I find the producer or the director and then I basically use my internet stalking skills to find them, message them, find their email, find their DMs and Instagram and then make contact yeah. there. Oh, absolutely. And that's the way you need to do it. Yeah, I don't see a lot of people, you know, sharing these secrets because there's this, no. you know, thought that, oh, if I share with everyone how I'm being successful, then that's taking away work from me. I'm going to be, you know, a step yeah. behind if I tell everyone what I'm doing. And so I love yeah. that you're so open to sharing and giving advice and, oh, you know, absolutely. sharing with everyone. I love yeah. that. I think, I think it's, uh, I think an interesting thing, an interesting way that I look at it. And I think this is one of the reasons I kind of changed my perspective about the competitiveness in our industry is the reason we're not all against each other is because we all have different styles. We can have similar styles, but 
you know, Cheska, you and me, we're never going to write the same score. Even if, if, even if we got given the same instruments, it's the same sample packs, we got sent the same film and we got briefed by the director to, to write the same sort of music, you and me would write different stuff. It's just how we are. We're different people. And, you know, there's no competitiveness there. An artist is going to paint a painting a different way than another artist is. And we are all individuals, you know, so it's not about fighting against each other for these jobs. It's who's right for the job. You know, you have to be right for the job. You have to have a great portfolio. But as you said, reaching out, being super on the ball about contacting people is, is, is crucial. Because as you said, rightly, you are never, I mean, unless you're Hans Zimmer, you know, this is the only case or, or, or James Horner or, or Thomas Newman or any great composer, you're not going to wake up in the morning, look at your emails and there's not going to be 20 jobs waiting for you um that is gonna book you up for the next two years it's just not how it works you have to be you have to be you have to want it you have to go and search for the stuff yourself it's never gonna happen otherwise yeah so going off of that like a lot of new composers that i see online they you know put their music out there and they share it but then you don't see them you know thinking about their client when they post that content. You do. I can see that you do. You do behind the scenes. Yeah. You explain how you approach a score and like the con the concept basically. But a lot of yeah. new composers, they're just like, I'm a composer, music, music, music. And, you know, it's just yeah. like, well, what are you doing to, you know, attract your client? Where, where are you going to make this happen for yourself? Because composing for media is not just an art, but it's a business as well. And you as the composer oh, yeah. have to wear all those hats. Like, oh, you, you yeah. don't have an agent. So you're the one that needs to find your work and you know, be strategic and creative about how you do yeah. that. It's extremely important. You know, having a business head on you as well is super important. It's not something that, has, that happens overnight. I would actually recommend something that I did just before I started uh, you know, doing this full-time professionally. Um, I did like an online business course. I, I did an online, I, I was completely free. I found it on YouTube. I will definitely make sure I put the link. If anyone follows me on Instagram, I'll put the link to this course in my Instagram bio, but it was an online free course about promoting yourself as a, a an artist. And it completely changed my life. It, it literally did. My, my, um, my attitude towards social media and promoting yourself changed. And I realized how important it was. And and I've been doing these things like you discussed, like the behind the scenes and, and score breakdowns. And I've noticed a massive difference in people engaging with me, people taking me seriously, even clients messaging me and like complimenting me on these videos. Um, it's super good. And it's super good for like uh, engaging, engaging with your followers or with potential clients, directors, producers. It's great. It needs to happen. So that's something I would definitely recommend. But as I said, I will put that link to that course in my uh, Instagram story after this. So everyone can go and check it out. Awesome. Okay, so I got some questions here prepared along with some from the community. So sure. how did you get the opportunity to score for the Discovery Channel before you left uni? Ah. That's a big, big deal. I remember you told ah. me a little bit about <laughs> it, but share with everyone how you went from those first clients, you know, in school working yeah. with students to, yeah. you know, leveraging that to work with the Discovery Channel. Yeah, that's a great, it's a great question. Um, and it was a story I was hoping to tell anyway, because I think it, it, it's, uh, it's a good one. Um, so basically, uh, when I was at, at a, when I was at university studying, um, I, you know, I wanted to be a composer, but I definitely have this attitude, like I think a lot of people do, oh, this isn't a job, I can't do this full time, you know, and uh, 
what I did is, is uh, just before I graduated, the summer before I graduated, I got a job as a uh, uh, assistant analyst, I would call it, or just a runner, basically, at a, at a production company in, in Ireland where I live. And I was doing laborious stuff. I was doing research for, for the show. And I was uh, booking plane tickets for people and working out how, you know, film crews were going to get from A to B. And it was just a way of earning money and getting some experience at a company. But what I quickly realized is this show, uh, this discovery show that they were they were developing, um, they they needed some good music for it. It was a very ambitious show. It had tons of history in it. It was medieval. It was epic. It was, you know, and I, and, and I saw an opportunity there. So what I did is I, I obviously knew everything about the show because I was doing research for it. So I went home and I decided what I was going to do was I was going to compose a suite of music by myself. And I wrote themes, big battle themes and adventurous themes and travel themes. And I did it all by myself. And I think I ended up writing about 20 pieces of music. And then what I did is I went in one day to work and I, I you know, I nervously kind of walked up to the producer who was a guy called Dominic. Uh, and he's a, He's a pretty scary guy, you know, and, and, and as a, I think I was 18 or 19 at the time. So I was, I was very nervous to approach him, but I just said, you know, Hey Dom, I, I want to have a conversation with you about something. And uh, he was very nice about it. He took me into another room and I basically sat down and explained to him what I wanted to do. I said, listen, I write music in my spare time. Uh, I want to be a composer. Uh, I've written a whole suite of music for the show and this is what I can do. And, you know, if you like it, let me know. And I would love to do this. I would love to score it. You know, I'd like, it would be amazing. And I think Dom, Dom listened to it. Uh, I didn't hear from him for about a week. And there was me going home a bit miserable thinking that I'd blown it and that it was never going to happen. And Dom came back to me and he just said, listen, we absolutely love what you've done. Um, you know, our budget is pretty small anyway. We, we've used a lot of it on uh, the sort of filming aspects and everything else. And we actually have a quite a tight music budget. And which was perfect for someone like me, because mm -hmm. obviously I'm, I was just starting out at that stage. I was like, listen, don't worry about that. You know, budget is not my priority right now. Getting on the show is going to be the best thing for me. Uh, so I ended up getting that job. And I, I mean, it was the most incredible, stressful experience of my life. Definitely, because I really didn't know an awful lot about what I was doing at the time. But I did it. And it was incredible. Wow. That's just the basic story. Yeah. Wow. So I, I remember when you told me a little bit of that story, we, we touched on how creative you had to be to like think that way and then like execute on that thought yeah. that you had like, oh, if I did this, like there's a potential that, you know, I could make music for the show. And I think yeah. where a lot of new composers will get stuck is they'll think like, you know, who am I to do this? Like, I'm not a professional. This is for TV. This is like, you know, up there like how can someone yeah. like me you know be worthy to score for something like that you just feel so inadequate because of a lack of experience and then yeah. second like you didn't go to school for this what yeah what tools did you have at that time oh good question so and this is going to make a lot of people laugh but it, it, it's a great thing as well so I composed the entire soundtrack for that show and I think I ended up writing about 50 pieces of music for this um I composed it on a $100 MIDI keyboard that I'd had since 2012, I think I'd like to say. It was an absolute beaten up old thing. It was nothing special at all. I wrote the whole entire soundtrack on my laptop. I didn't have a monitor. I didn't have anything. So it was literally my MIDI keyboard 
my laptop stacked on top of a couple of books and I, I wrote the whole thing on my headphones and it was it was nothing special the setup was basic as it could possibly be but i think that shows a great lesson that it doesn't really matter about what you have it's, it's about what you do and if you want it enough because i wanted it you know i really really did I, I saw that it was my opportunity i went out of my comfort comfort zone i took that kind of leap of faith and it really did pay off um i think that just in terms of sample libraries that i was using um i i purchased i think for the show I purchased Spitfire's Albion One library, which mm -hmm. I think at the time was retailing for about 300, 350 pounds, which maybe, I don't know what that would be in dollars, maybe about $500. And yeah. I honestly think that about 99% of that whole first soundtrack was, was composed using Albion One. It was just that sample part because I didn't have anything better. I had contact, the basic contact instruments from the most standard edition you can get on Albion One, and that was it. You know, wow. it was very basic. Wow. Yeah. What a story. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so actually there, there was someone that contacted me and he, I don't know if he's here right now, but he's actually an assistant composer to someone at Disney. Yeah. And he ran right. into this problem of, you know, working a low paying job, working for someone else. And, you know, yeah. You are doing this full time. So, how do you leverage, you know, your experience with discovery? How did you use that to find bigger clients afterwards? Oh my goodness! I mean, this is this is what I'm trying to uh, what I was trying to say before. I mean, getting that credit was absolutely incredible. Like it was life. I would honestly go as far to say as it was life changing. And I I think if I hadn't done this, I would be in a very different position that I am now. Getting your first credit, and it's something I was going to touch on anyway. Um, I've made some notes. It's just get, getting your first TV credit, especially by a trusted network like Discovery, for example, is huge. And the reason it's so huge is because once you're able to show other clients that you, your work and your, you are trusted by a network such as Discovery, who we all know, everyone's heard of them. They make great content. They're a multi-million dollar company. I mean, what else does a client have to say? If, you're, if you have a logo on your website showing that you've done music for Discovery, I think it's going to eradicate a lot of the um, nerves that a client's going to have about giving a project to a, a composer or a younger composer like me or you. Um, it's crazy. And you need to think about it like the the film or the, or the show that, that you're going to be working on or you are working on is like the producer or director's baby. You know, they have been developing this. They could have been developing this for years. Mm -hmm. You know, quite often for feature films, they sit on scripts for years. Um, so you need to understand that they're going to be very apprehensive to give their film away unless you can show them evidence that you are going to really perform. And that's why having that credit from Discovery for me was so instrumental to kind of opening the door to a lot of different places. And as I said, the only reason I got that credit was because I completely went out of my comfort zone. I did something crazy and it could have gone all wrong, but it didn't. I, I didn't let myself fail. And, and that is what you kind of have to do. If you want to succeed, you have to take risks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So to clarify, so this person's problem was kind of like doing name dropping without coming off as like, you know, very like show offy. Like you, I right. think what you are saying is that you 
have that logo and you're like, it's going to speak for itself. You put it on your website, you put the yeah, fact exactly. that you do discovery, yeah. you put that in your Instagram bio. And so you don't have yeah. to like out loud say to a client like, oh, I, I compose for the discovery channel, hire me. Like it was more like, no, like, look, no. I, this is what I did. Work speaks for itself. You know? Yeah. This, this person that you're talking about, let me just get this straight. So he is an assistant composer to someone who writes for Disney. Is that, is that correct? Mm -hmm. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, what, what else can I say? That is an incredible thing. I mean, Disney, I, that's the biggest thing in the planet right now. They're the biggest creators in the planet. And they're, I, I totally get what you mean. I mean, I wouldn't go up to someone and go, hello, I'm Taryn Mitchell. I compose music for the discovery channel. I mean, that's obnoxious, <laughs> Yeah. but don't be shy to show off these things. You, you need to put that, for, forever, who the, whoever this person is who, who's asked this question, you need to be proud of that. That's an incredible achievement, and you need to make sure that people know about that. So as you said, Chesk, I have in my in my Instagram bio uh, the biggest, the big company names that mm -hmm. I've worked for, uh, just because plainly I'm proud of it, and I want to show other people that I have experience and that I've worked with big clients like that. And also, if, if this person has a website, I mean, absolutely, you should be- Slap that on there, everyone. yeah. <laughs> Slap that on there. Don't be shy. Seriously. I mean, you cannot play these things down as long as you're not shoving it, shoving it in someone's face unnecessarily. Get it out there. People need to see that because it will open so many doors. Oh, yeah. So I want to touch more on kind of like the mindset that you have going into composing, because I, I really think a lot of young composers can benefit from cultivating that now. So, right. Like, what things are you thinking about that other people don't like what what made you realize do you think that opportunity working at the production company like how did that come about okay well i just i think we touched on this a little bit earlier and and that is the competitive aspect of the industry that we're in as we said composing is a job that everyone wants to do it's an amazing job it's fun it's exciting it's not like you're going to uh you know go out and work on a construction site all day it, we have the best job in the world you know um and i think i realized that it was competitive and i realized that there were so many people doing it and i just literally remember sitting at home over summer when lockdown first started and i remember getting a piece of paper and i i would note down all these different ideas that i had mm -hmm. like what could i do that what could i do that people aren't doing I would do market research. I'd go and look at other composers. And, and if I really liked something that someone was doing, I would note it down. I'd write it down and be like, that's great. This is good because A, B, and C, you know, this engages me. This, this sounds great. You know, he's getting a lot of attention. He or she's getting a lot of attention for this. Or, and I, I made a big, big list of all these different ways I thought could give me an edge. It's all about having an edge. You can't just be good. You have to be excellent. So it's all about sort of like, thinking about how you can be better than everyone else. I know that sounds a bit strange, but <laughs> it, 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 it just is what you're going to have to do. I think an absolutely brilliant example of this, someone who is smashing it at the moment is JP Dusan. I'm sure everyone in the chat knows him. He is one of the biggest composers on Instagram that I know. He is a young guy living in New York. And he is smashing it. And the reason he's smashing it is because his social media is top of the game. He posts amazing content, behind the scenes stuff, score breakdowns, he does product reviews. He does everything. And people just find him. I mean, I can't, I can't stop watching him. I don't know about anyone else. I love him. And, and that just shows how successful he can be. He's booked for the rest of the year, as far as I know. He's, he's, he's got jobs lined up for the rest of the year. And he does that because he's dominated this. He's taken full advantage of the power of social media, you know? 
And that's what it's about. Yeah. So I, I love that you used him as an example because that's a, a great example of someone who knows their own personal brand of composing and knows how to communicate that through like, you know, yeah. doing that market research and then telling that same story over and over again. Who am I? Yeah. What am I good who at doing? I? And who do I serve? Yeah. And so I, yeah. you know, for any young composer, like marketing is essential to learn, like as far oh as goodness. communicating yes. your value, like what kind of stories you re you're really good at, you know, composing for, because yeah. as you said, we're all going to make different kinds of music for, you know, yeah. for the same story. And so whatever yeah. you're really, really good at, all you young composers here, like, you know, nail that, show people that that's what you're good yeah. at. You touched on something very true there. And it's a bit of advice that I got from a, a very good composer friend of mine uh, called Ty Unwin, who composes uh, for, for BBC. And he's, a, he's an incredible composer. Um, and he's always said to me all through my life that, Finding, finding your voice as a composer and finding your identity is crucial because that's what separates you from everyone else. You don't want to copy other people. You want to find your own identity. And once you find that, once you find what you're good at, whether that be you're amazing at writing epic big trailer scores or whether you're really good at the emotional quiet stuff, you need to take full advantage of that and create this brand around yourself. You know, I am Taron Mitchell. I write music for t I write epic music for TV and film. That's my voice. I that's my that's who I am, and I know that now. I I I've learned that through experience and taking full advantage of that and 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 creating a, a presence in social media is is so important. And and JP Dusan is is a prime example of that. He knows exactly who he is. He knows exactly what type of music he wants to write. And he's gone on Instagram and Facebook and all these other platforms and he's telling the world and he's making interesting, creative, engaging content that is attracting clients and fans and, and everything is leading to, you know, he's got an upward trend. He's just going up. There's no coming down from there. Oh, yeah. So that would be my advice. Find your voice, learn what you're good at, absolutely nail that and sell yourself. That's what you need to do as much as you can. Mm -hmm. All right. So. I want to talk to you now about money. <laughs> so money, yeah. great. So can you break down for us like the income streams that you've kind of built up, how you did that for each one, whether that's royalties, your upfront composer sure. fees, everything like that? Sure. Um, so I'm gonna tell a story about the first discovery show that I did, because I think it's important for everyone to hear. And and, and I I told you when I was telling that story, uh they had a very small budget for music and they knew that i was in, they knew they knew that i was new to the job so i think i got paid i think as i said i wrote about 50 pieces of music for that show and i got paid about a thousand pounds which was i think probably about 13 1400 if i'm correct which 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 is great for me at my which was great for me at that age and i was you know happy to get anything at that time um, but if you're going to be, uh, if you're going to make a living from this job, you, that's not the kind of budget you're going for. Um, but specifically, what sort of areas are you looking for, Chesk, in terms of the, the money aspects of things? Right. So a lot of people, I think, you know, set this goal. And when they have a side job, for example, you worked part time previously. Yes, yes, so yes, yes, yes. You had to get money to survive somewhere. So how did you I did like, you know, set the goal like, OK, this is what I need to be able to make with my with my composing. And then, OK, like yep. along the way, like, how did you build that up? OK, I, I totally understand now. So, yeah, um, 
as you just said, I did have a part-time job for, for a long time while I was doing my, my composing on the side. And that was plainly because I wasn't making enough of my composing to support myself um, full-time, you know, it just wasn't plausible. Um, and I think it just comes with experience. Like as I started building up my portfolio, which by the way, is the most important thing, I, I started to get more credits under my belt. People started to take me more seriously. I just chipped away at it at my spare time, kept pushing up, pushing up, pushing up. And I got to the point where the projects I was getting on, they were, you know, the budgets were slightly bigger. The budgets were getting better. And I sort of realized that there was a potential there to, to, to start making a living. Um, as I said, I still had this, uh, this job, um, uh, this, this kind of a side job on, you know, that I was doing on the weekends or on weekdays. Um, I think what's important to remember as well that as composers, like our skills, is it's not just plainly about writing music. We have so many other skills as a composer that we 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 do. We have, you know, sound design. So many composers are amazing at sound design because we have an ear for it. We're we're good at mixing. We're good at um, dialogue editing. There, there's so many skills that are involved in it. So what I actually did next is I got a job doing uh, sound design work on films. And that added another string to my bow. I was able to go, okay, so now I'm not only earning a bit of money from doing music, I'm also earning a bit of money doing sound design. And I think I slowly started to be able to make that transition from, you know, doing composing and, and having a side job gradually to it becoming more about my music and my sound. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm trying to say? It was not an overnight thing. I didn't wake up one morning and go, right, today is the day like, I'm quitting. I quit my job and <laughs> yeah. become a full-time composer. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just not how it happens. It's a very slow and gradual thing. But I think, as I just said about the, the sound design and the, the sound mixing thing, that's a really interesting area to explore because I, it's an area that I'm really interested in as well, along with composing. And it's something that we as composers are naturally good at. We're, we're great at working with sound, at mixing, all these different things. So explore all those, those avenues because they will help you. For example, when I worked for the sound design, uh, I, did, I did a couple of jobs for, these, uh, for sound designing in films and for commercials and things like that. And there were times when I was doing that sound design stuff that they went, oh, yeah, you know, we're looking for a, we're looking for a track or something like that. And, uh, and I'd be like, oh, well, hey, I'm a composer. And, you know, nice. then they'd mm -hmm. go, oh, you're a composer. And I'd be like, yeah. And then so that's another way of getting clients. It's like working your way into in, in finding clients into the industry from a different perspective. So definitely explore other options like sound design and, and, and mixing and all these different things that can definitely help you to make that transition. transition. But if you're not interested in doing that and you definitely want to stick gun ho to the composing thing, it's, it is a slow journey and, and it's all about building up your client base, creating an extremely good portfolio to have. And as you get more credits and more experience, you will be able to find projects with a higher budget. Do you know what I mean? It just happens. It does naturally happen. Because if you are working with the young director and you end up working with him for three years, mm -hmm. he he is going to be on a career tra trajectory as well. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So if, if you work with him consistently, it, chances are your, your careers are going to go in the same direction. Once he gets access to higher bud budgets, that's going to be shared with you. And that's kind of how the trend goes. Mm -hmm. I don't really know what else to say, but that's sort of how I did it anyway. So as far as getting onto a new project with a like slightly bigger budget each time, you you don't go in like, do you go in negotiating or do you just take what they give you? Or do you have like a oh, fee no. that you charge? 
Oh, definitely not take what they give me. That's you, you just can't afford to do that. I mean, if it's going to be a job that you are hoping to make a living from, you can't go in and just go, yes, you know, whatever the budget pays, that 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 will be me. I mean, it is a job at the end of the day and it is your career or it's what you want to do as a career. I always set my budgets. I mean, for a short film, I'll give you an example. For a short film of, you know, maybe uh, up to maybe half an hour, mm-hmm. I sort of charge between four to 600 pounds, which would probably be around $800 mm-hmm. on average, I think. Um, and I mean, it's okay if you're, if, you're, if you're starting off, it's okay to take a lower fee. It's totally fine. It's whatever you're prepared to take, but I'm just trying to give you a perspective from, from me. Mm-hmm. If, if, if a client is not willing or able to pay the fee that, that I, I'm comfortable charging, I, I just walk away from the project now. I didn't used to do this, but you have to value your work. Mm-hmm. You have to value your skills. And if someone is not going to value that, then is it really worth working with them? Because um, that trend is just going to continue. If you work with them again, they're just going to be like, oh, no, I mean, we don't have the budget, but you'll work for you'll work for half price, won't you? And that trend will just continue. Mm-hmm. So I think it's about, uh, it just depends. It's, it's a really hard question to answer, Chess, because I don't really know, are you asking me or are you asking someone who is just starting off? Like, right, right, right. It's all different. Definitely. It's, it's, all, it's all very different. Right. I think you covered it though. Like in the beginning, you're going to want to get that experience, even if it doesn't pay much. You're not going to just, you know, walk away and be like, oh, you're only going to pay me this. Uh you know, only if yeah. you pay me this amount, but yeah, definitely. Like you, we need to value our work. And actually what I found was that there are some directors out there that just aren't really educated on what it takes to compose a score. And no. that affects the way that they see me and, you know, value our work. And, you know, yeah. there was this one director that I almost worked with he is self-taught, didn't go to school or anything, not really aware of um, music budgets, what's normal. And right. so right. like they wanted to buy my music, all the rights for only $300, which is like terrible because I was going to put my like heart and soul into this you know, piece of music and they want to own it for life. And so there was this conflict between me and you know a director that wasn't aware of like, you know, publishing rights, writer's rights as a composer. And the fact that, you know, it's very hard to make money with a piece of music if you give it away entirely and you license it out and never see that again. And so can you talk to our young composers here about licensing and protecting your music, like from the very beginning, moving forward? Well, I think it was uh, it's a, it's a good example as well because I'll I'll just give you a little bit of an insight into the discovery show that I did because mm-hmm. I I experienced a similar issue where it turned it turned out that this 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 fee that I got paid for the discovery show uh, it, it also included owning the rights or actually no it was I think it was fifty percent of the rights mm-hmm. to to all of the music that I wrote and at the beginning as I said I was just happy to be making money at this stage um, so I, I I went along with it. Um, Again, it's it's a hard question to answer because I don't know what level you're sort of going at. As I said, if, if you're someone who's just starting out like I was yeah. when I got this job for history, I don't think rights are a big deal. I think if you can get the credit and the difference between giving the rights away and keeping the rights to yourself is going to be the difference between losing the project or taking the project, right. don't worry about it. It's better to just give the rights away because 
what you have to realize is as you grow as a composer, your music's going to get better. And probably if it's your first job or your second job or third job, it's not going to be the best music you write. You know, mm -hmm. it's just not. That music that I wrote for the History Channel show, it was good. But I look back at it now and go, God, I can't believe I wrote that. You know, <laughs> uh -huh. it just happens. It does. It does happen. Um, but I think as you start to get, uh, as your career starts to, uh, you know, as you start to get more experience and your the quality of your music starts to get better, you really need to take this seriously because royalties are a massive thing. As composers, we are 90% of the time we are self-employed. We don't get pension. We don't get a pension. And royalties are essentially a composer's pension, you know? Uh, the second I just finished the second series for the for the the same show that I did last year. So I've just finished the score for the second series of the Discovery show. And this year I was very strong and I completely turned around to them and said, I'm keeping the royalties for this music. Otherwise, I'll walk away because you have to realize that you, as you said, rightly, you put your heart and soul into the soundtrack and to give it away is a heartbreaking thing, but not not even a heartbreaking thing you're losing money you know um once that show airs around the world or or whatever like that that will gain you royalties um which is a good bit of money in the future you know you you need that to support yourself as a composer because sometimes the upfront fees aren't enough to kind of cover yourself um those royalties are sort of essential to to supporting you throughout the year maybe if you have a quiet spell or something like that but not only that, it's that if you sell the rights to the music, you can never use that music anywhere else. You know, you can never use those themes anywhere else. They're owned by someone else. And I, I would just say if you're prepared to, to, to walk away and to give them away, there's nothing wrong with that. If you'd rather take a bigger upfront fee or you'd rather take a job if it meant the difference between giving away your rights or keeping them, that's okay. But what I would recommend is if you're at a stage where your music is starting to become better, and you're getting more experience and you're getting bigger jobs, the rights are important. And educating yourself on, on why they're important is essential. Um, I, I spoke about a few of them, which is they support you as a composer further on and dry spells and so on. But you can also use those themes in other projects. I've done that many times. You know, If I keep the rights to a project uh, and then I, I go on to work on a project later in the year and I go, wow, you know, that theme that I wrote for, for, for this project might actually work really nicely in this one as well. Not, not, in, not in the same way, but in a similar rendition. Mm -hmm. I can do that because I own the rights to the music. But if I had sold those rights, I mean, it's just you don't own them anymore. So it's a really, really difficult thing. And I think it completely depends on what level you're at. Right. So let's say for our new composers here, can you talk yes. a bit more about, you know, for new people? Just new people, as I said before, if you are just starting out and uh, you, you know you're getting you're you're getting a job uh, working on a short film, and the director turns around and says, you know, like you did, uh, we'll give you three hundred dollars for this piece if if you compose this piece of music for our film, but we want all of the rights. Personally, if that was me, I would turn around and go, you know what, that's okay. <laughs> no, no, I'm ser I'm serious because if you, if you're just starting out, like. It, it doesn't matter as much. What matters when you're just starting out is getting a credible portfolio put together. That is the most important thing. And as I said, if giving away the rights is going gonna, is gonna to make the director walk away, if you're not willing to give the rights up, in my head, that's not worth it. Because when you're just starting out, as I said, the quality of your music is not going to be exceptional. You're still going to be learning a lot and it's not worth losing the job over. That would be my advice to new composers. New and composers. That's, mm -hmm. that's exactly what I, that's exactly what I did. But it is completely different if you are a composer who is watching now, um, who has a lot more experience, 
you know, has worked on, on lots of films, maybe even has their first TV credit or two, it's completely different. The attitude completely changes. Your royalties are very important to protecting your music. As I said, they support you further down the line. And I, and personally now, I would never let my royalties go. No matter how much the upfront fee was, I wouldn't do it. Wow. All right. So we have um, some questions from the community here. So Maddie asks, do you do any composing outside of media, like commission work, grants for composing? What does he mean by grants? Yeah, what do you mean by grants, Maddie? Um, outside of media. He's a media. Company. Outside of media. <laughs> outside of media. Well, I don't really know. I, I, Maddie, you'll have to be a bit more specific about what you mean by that. Um, I'm trying to think of an example. I mean, I, I've done some uh, producing for like some, uh, for, for an artist to do, to do some pop songs. I mean, I, I've done that a, a number of times because it's a little bit of a change. It's still pertaining to my skills with, with, as a composer, which are our mixing and mastering abilities That's uh, and our writing abilities. That can, that can be translated outside of media to work on tracks with artists as well. And an opportunity presented itself and I took it, you know. Uh, that was earlier this year. I think it was just at the start of this year. Um, but if Maddie, if you can be, yeah, okay, here he's just said, what did he say? Can you read it out, Jess? Composition, oh, sorry, <laughs> compositions, for example, uh, for musical groups or societies. For example, a pianist I know was commissioned to write a piece for chamber choir by the Arts Council. By the Arts Council. So personally, I've never done that. I've never been commissioned to write like a piece of music like that before. It's always been film, TV, game stuff, or like I said, pop music, or 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 a singer, or songwriter who wants a bit, uh, a bit more added to their track, or a bit of mixing and mastering, or some development on a on a on a track or album that they have. But no, I've never I've never written uh, any music for a musical group or anything like that so far. Not to say I wouldn't. It sounds very very interesting, but so far it's not something I have done. So I wouldn't be able to give you a huge amount of uh, pointers about that. All right. So we have another question. Can you suggest some websites for beginners to find their first gig? Well, actually, I can answer this. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I don't know if I'll say your name right, but Saif, um, you can go on Kickstarter Indiegogo. Like I, a lot of people, even international Kickstarter is um, a great fundraiser tool and you don't need to be in the US or Canada to like have access to that. So what I would tell you to do is go onto the film category and then search, look through a budget that you're, you're comfortable with and you feel like, you know, would be a good experience for you. And if the story resonates with you, go for that, find the contact of the director or the producer and do some Google searches, you know, find, find the contact information and then go from there come ready with uh, great ideas for their score. If you want, do like some teaser music like Taryn did, and then, you know, set up a meeting with them and then they'll give you the script. And then the next thing you know, you're, you're scoring for them. Okay, that's great. I, I totally agree with, with Cheska on, on that as well. I'll add to it a little bit more because I'm slightly different way that I went about uh, finding, finding work online. And that was actually through Facebook. I found Facebook to be one of the most incredible tools to find work as a composer. And I cannot tell you how many jobs I've booked through Facebook. Um, I went on Facebook and I joined as many groups and film pages that I could. 
I think I am honestly, I think at one stage I was signed up to about 300. It was ridiculous. Wow. I mean, I was getting so many, no, so many notifications on my phone. I think it was ha having a, having a seizure at one point, but I would, I would, I signed up to all these groups and they were film production uh, groups. They were filmmaker chats. They were directors pages. They were producer pages, everything I could think of re related to film. I would join a page, join a page, join a page. And the funny thing about that is um, these people post all the time about films they're making. They post about, you know, how their updates on projects they're working on or projects they're, 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 they're about to start, projects that are in development. And that's a fantastic way to sort of to, to reach out to directors and producers who are at different stages in their productions. If, 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 they're, if they're in development, you can reach out and go, hey, you know, I'm a composer. Have you got a composer on board yet? I would love to do this film. It sounds really interesting then you're on board from the very, very beginning. They take you all the way through. Mm -hmm. Even if there's a film that they've started filming, reach out, go, hey, this film looks really great. I love what you've been posting. Um, do you have a composer on board yet? That's another way you can get work. Or even if a film is coming towards the end of its filming process, it's going into post-production, there have often been occasions where they have still not got music sorted. And I've gone, hey, you know, composer, here's my website. This is what I do. I would love to be involved. And I have booked so much work from Facebook, you wouldn't believe it. It's it's a fantastic, fantastic tool. Um, and that would be my recommendation anyway. Wow. So I, I love that you just went in there and, you know, engage with people that way, because a lot of people, I think, in the beginning stages of the film production, they're not... They're, they're thinking about music, but they haven't like settled down and searched for a composer yet. And in my experience, when you come on really, really early and they're like, you know, haven't even shot yet, like usually they're like, yeah, I was thinking about, you know, looking for a composer, but I haven't found one yet. And then you're just like, you land on their doorstep and they're like, yes, we want you. <laughs> like, And so yeah. I find that directors are really excited actually when you come on really early and you're able to connect with them on the story they've written and you get to kind of like take your time and you know figure out the proper sound for the film and so yeah for the newer composers I, I, I totally agree yeah yeah for the newer composers like I it feels like some of you guys might be just you know so shy like you're you you don't feel like you're you're qualified like that's something I hear a lot from you know yeah. young composers like I'm not qualified I've never done this before and when you step in front of a director for the first time like you're just a ball of nerves like it's it's hard oh, sure. to you know it's hard to make them feel comfortable and you know as you say let them give you their baby and like you yeah. know score no for them. it's true it's true it's true these you know the directors and producers they're so protective over 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 their films and and, and I and I understand it because you know, as composers, when we write a track, you know, Chesk, you even said it yourself when this director was offering $300 for, for your music, you said no, because that, that track or the, the score you were going to write for that film, that's, that's, a, that's a thing you put a lot of time and effort into. And that director or producer is only ever going to feel confident about giving you that film if you are, if you seem like you're on the ball, if you've got a great portfolio, a great website, if you come across as knowing what you're doing, if you're all shy and timid and and you're like, hey, you know, do you have a composer yet? I, I don't really know. I'm just saying hi. They're not. They're not going to. They're not going to respond positively to that. I can promise you. Um, and it's also about. I was going to say something else, which is um, whether you're scoring your first film or your fiftieth or your twentieth, you need to make yourself indispensable. If you get a job on a film, you need to do more than you're expected to because 
you will be remembered by that cast, but by, by the by the director or the producer, and you will be recommended. And repeat business is such a massive part of making making a living in our industry. That director is not just going to make one film and then vanish off the face of the earth, is he? I mean, that director's life is making films. Mm-hmm. And if you do a good job on one film and he goes on to film a second and a third and a fourth, and he remembers that you were the guy or girl that did an amazing job, did more than you were expected to, wrote incredible music, listened to him, helped him as much as he could. Why would he go looking for anyone else? I mean, there's no reason for that. If you are indispensable and you do more than you're asked for, you will get rehired. I promise you. Oh, yeah. Like for all the new composers, like your success depends on your director's success, that film's success. And so, you know, going into a new project, you have to really want it to succeed. And, you know, that's going to connect back to you getting more work. And so, you know, I think that there's this confusion between being a music artist and promoting yourself that way versus being a media composer and more so like you know, promoting your ability to help support another story on screen yeah. in the media. Yeah. And so I see a lot of new composers, we already talked about this, but you know, simply posting your music is not enough. Like no matter how no. good you think it is, when I want you guys to think about it, like when you go on Instagram, say, and you find, you know, someone's music page on their bio and you click on it and you no, know, there's a picture, there's music. There's nothing to engage with there. There's nothing that's saying like, hey, I'm a composer. I know how to interpret a story and drama on screen and you know, write a score for that. I think that it's so true. And, and I think uh, when I post this link to this business course that I, I, I did, um, I, I will absolutely do that. I learned such an important lesson from that. And that was, you, you don't want to post, like clients don't want to post no, sorry, I'm saying this completely wrong. What I'm trying to say is that if you post lots of different content that you want, 90% of the time, it's not what other people want to see. It's what you want to see. If you're posting all of your music, I mean, that's great. I hope it makes you feel good, but you don't, no one else maybe wants to see it. You know, um, you need to be posting content that is going to be engaging for people to watch. That's the only way that people are going to take you seriously. And it's also about creating sort of like a, a connection with who the person is behind the, 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 the Instagram page. If you just post a, you know, a, a video or, or a screen recording of your, uh, your doll mm-hmm. and, you know, you, you kind of see the score going through. I mean, great. Listen, I, if it's a beautiful piece of music, I, 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 I'm very, comp- I, I love it, but I want to see who's behind that. Who is the person who composed that? How did he do that? What is his name? Like, what does he look like? I mean, it's creating that impression is so important. Because clients feel that they connect with you more that way. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They, they they want to put a face to what oh, they're yes, hearing. Yes. So it, otherwise, it's just like you're like a robot, or like you're like you, you know everything. You're like everyone else. You want to cr- you want to put a face to your brand. That's mm-hmm. so important. Mm-hmm. So so important. That reminds me now. Like I was actually really curious about my own personal success. And I actually asked a director of mine, like, why did you choose me? Like he found me like on his own. I was like, okay, what were the things that really set me apart? Because he was looking through LinkedIn. He didn't know where to find a composer. And so when he found my Instagram page, he said there were three things that set me apart from other people, which was one, you know, I put a face to it. Like he saw that I was a female composer and that I was young and, you know, 
yada yada like people will look for their people right and so he saw that I was relatable and he liked that so that set yeah. me apart from all the other you know like white male composers in the rest of the industry and so yeah. that was number one relatability and then number two he saw like it's not a bad thing Maddie I know you're like oh my my screen recordings it's okay to put screen recordings of your DAW and everything but he saw that I had the tools to make the kind of music he wanted he saw that, you know, I had Logic Pro and all these things. And so he knew that I had the tools to make the music he wanted. And then number three, yeah. I, I mean, I post things about, you know, things I learned about the film scoring process, like not just music all the time, but um, I showed that I knew what I was doing. Like I, I share the things that I learned on each project. And so he said that you knew what you were doing. And so he felt confident in trusting me with his project. And so yeah. those three things, relatability, you have the tools, you know what you're yeah. doing. The, all of those things are to comfort your client and, you know, convince them to let you have their baby and like, let them, exactly. you know, feel confident about you being on their project. And so, yeah, exactly. And, and I think, sorry, Chester, just bought in. Yeah, I yeah. think that's particular. it's particularly important to remember that, especially right now, when we're in lockdown, we're we're working to we're working with people online. You have to understand that we're not we're not going out and having meetings with directors. I mean, I don't know if you are, but oh. I'm certainly not. Mm -mm. No, you know, you're not going to meet to to meet a director or a producer for coffee. You're not doing that. So you have to think that if you're not going to coffee with this person and being able to express yourself in person and gain their trust and be personable and confident when you're sitting at a coffee table with them, then why aren't you doing that on your social media? I mean, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be any different. Think about it as your Instagram or your Facebook is, how would you want to present yourself if you were having a, a meeting with a director or a producer or giving a presentation? That's how you should think of your social media. You're, listen, if you sat down with a director at a coffee table, I hate to say this, Maddie. I really like you, Maddie. You're a good guy. <laughs> I, I don't want to be offensive. Uh, but, but what I'm trying to say is if you sat down with a director or a producer at a coffee table and the first thing you did is say, hello, my name's Maddie, and then turned your laptop around and showed them the door, showed them your door and went, listen to this. I mean, they're not, they're going to go, I mean, first of all, what am I looking at? I mean, I don't even know what this is. They, they don't know what Logic Pro is or what Cubase is. I mean, they're not, they're not composers. So it's like, why, why should they be interested? Why should they be interested in that? That's the, that's the question. They want to hear about you, your skills, who you are as a person. That's what's going to get you the jobs. I'm not, and I just want to clarify, Maddie, posting door stuff is completely fine. It's completely fine. I've seen some of your stuff before. Your music is great. Um, there is no problem with doing it. Just don't do it all the time, right? Just don't do it all the time because it will get repetitive. You'll fall into blurring with, with all the other people who do that. What we're trying, what I'm trying to tell you right now is that you have to set yourself aside from the other people and just posting videos of your door is not the way, not the way to do it. Not the way, not necessarily the way you're going to land clients. Um, and, and as I said, I'll just repeat it. Think about it as if you're going for coffee with a director or producer, that's how you should be presenting yourself online. Wow. I love that. That is a great analogy. I've never heard it put that way. And I don't think they teach that in music school. So I love definitely that. Not, I love no. that. Definitely not. Good. All right. So we're in the last half hour of the talk. So guys, if you have any questions at this point, pop them down in the chat because we're going to start going through them. 
And sorry, Matty, Matty, just uh, my, just saw Matty set, uh, put in there. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. It's great. Change is what, what, what it's all about. Um, and, and there's always a place to start. You know, there's no better time to start than now. We're in a pandemic. Uh, we're all at home. We're all in lockdown. There is no better time to start and change things than now. So good on you, man. Agreed. All right. So this is an easy question. Do you require any accelerator cards for your session since they look heavy? Accelerator cards? <laughs> accelerator cards. I'm not exactly sure what you mean by that. Is is that, are you talking about like, uh, like, like RAM on your computer, processing power, things like that? I think what they might've been getting at is that were there any modifications or like extra, you know, extra beefy things you added on to your, your computer to like help with the heavy yeah. sessions? Okay, cool. Yes. Some of my sessions have been extremely heavy, especially for the kind of big score stuff, which will be for like discovery and history. They always want game of Thrones style percussion strings, drums, all that kind of stuff. And it can end up being very sample heavy. You know, there's, there are times when I have, to 200 instruments in a session which thankfully isn't that often otherwise my computer would probably combust in a in a cloud of steam and smoke but it's actually about uh i'm sure some of some of you will know about this and i'm sure you will as well chesk busing busing is so important i can't stress this enough busing is the way to save your computer from dying if you're working on a big project uh, do you do you know what busing is i should probably explain yeah, what that explain is busing. so so basically what I'm trying to say is if, if, you have, if you have 50 instruments in a score and you know that you want reverb on all of those tracks, if you put reverb as a separate plugin on every single instrument, that is taking up an awful, awful, awful lot of um, processing power on your computer. Your RAM will just get eaten up and your logic or Cubase is going to crash and you might lose something. It's just not the way to go. What busing does Bussing basically means that you can put uh, a reverb plugin on a, on a bus in your mixer, and then you can send different instruments to access that one reverb plugin on your bus, which essentially means that if you've got a string, uh, you know, a, st a string section of 23 strings, um, sorry, it's a phone. Um, if you've got a, a, a 23 string section and you, you've got um, you don't need to have the same reverb plugin on every single one of those. You can just basically bus all of them together to one, one channel strip, which will save your computer an awful lot of headspace. I don't know if you know what I mean, but I would definitely recommend going and doing some more research about busing because it's an essential way to kind of manage, um, manage your processing power on your computer without going and spending, you know, $5,000 on a beefed up computer, um, it's essential. It's really, really essential. And I, I learned that from a, a very, very good composer in LA who, who basically grabbed me by the shoulders and went, learn about busing. <laughs> because I, you know, I was telling him all the time. I was like, Hey, Felix, I said, why, why is my computer always saying system overload? Why is oh, yeah. it, it just constant <laughs> hey, system overload, system overload, system overload. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I mean, this project only has 60 instruments and, and he's like busing and he just, he said, next time I see you, I don't want you to, you to ever ask me about this again. And I didn't. I haven't. Bussing is the way to go. Tesco, go and go and research it. Anyone else, bussing is, is the answer. Bussing is the answer. All right. So Maddie has another. Oh, we got some more questions. 
So Maddie said, just to follow up, if your social media is just all music and doll sessions, should you delete some of it and start fresh? Or is it okay having that and just growing from there? Oh, no, it's absolutely fine, Maddie. Don't feel the need to go and delete things that you've already posted. I mean, that that would just be detrimental. There's no point doing that. It's just negative. It's fine to have that stuff on, on there. And if anything, there might be an occasion that you want to send the director something oh, yeah. you've done, which is that door session. So you can just forward that on to him and it's great to have it there. What I'm saying is just make sure that it's not all the same because it, it gets repetitive and boring and there's no separation between your content. You need to have different stuff that's going to keep your audience engaged. So don't delete any of the old stuff. It's great. The stuff you've done recently is good. I've listened to it. I listened to the Obi-Wan score and I listened to the Mandalorian one you did a while ago. They're really good. Just don't do it all the time. Think about more inventive ways of showing that. Yeah, that's a really good point too, because actually personally, I have sent, you know, old doll recordings to directors that sought me out for work, like on Instagram. So Maddie, definitely leave that there because you never know. There might be a director you're in contact with in your DMs and you can easily send them a track that's yeah. relevant to their film and show them yeah. like, you know what they're looking for. So definitely. Without having to like, without having to, you know, send them a Wii transfer file that's going to be massive. You've already uploaded it. Quick access, mm -hmm. send it to them. It's quick and simple, very easy. Don't delete the Mari. It's great to have. Um, yeah. Right. Okay. Let's see another one. So, oh, Artem just wanted to share something. He said he found the freeze function in Ableton Live in order to save RAM and CPU. So if anyone yes. Yes. uses Ableton, there's that. It's, it goes with anything, Chesk. It doesn't even go with just Ableton. It applies to Logic or Cubase mm -hmm. or anything you're using. There, do also do a bit of research. It's very hard for me to try to explain all the ins and out of this uh, on a call when I'm not showing you exactly what I'm doing. But basically what the freeze function allows you to do, it's especially good for like templates. If you have like an orchestral template with like 500 instruments in, it means that you can kind of deactivate the in instruments that you aren't using. You know, mm -hmm. if, you, if you have maybe, uh, if you have a, uh, a, big, a big track um, that's got a hundred things in it. You might not want all of them switched on at the one time, especially if you're just working on one particular se section. Um, I'm not sure if that's what he's on about. There's, there's a function in Logic, especially where you can turn them on and off. Uh, and there's plenty of YouTube videos to help you do that. But also um, the freezing uh, also applies in Reaper 2. Um, I don't know if he's specifically talking about that with freezing, but there's also a way that you can uh, you can bounce out different parts of your track. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Say you've, I've seen you've, that a lot. You know, you... you you, you know, you've uh, you've recorded a, a massive string section and you're really happy with it. And you, you know you're not going to want to change it and it's taking up a lot of a memory maybe because there's lots of plugins on, on mm -hmm. your strings or something like that. Just bounce the track out. You know, uh, you, can, you, can, you can bounce the string section out. It will sound great. Then you can either delete or, you know, whatever with the, with the original uh, sample. And then you can, you can drag the, the, the string uh, section in again as a much smaller... Uh, processor ram friendly audio wav file or mp3 it, it really doesn't make much of a difference um so yeah for anyone wondering the freeze functions or bouncing out your tracks is the best option bouncing meaning ex like exporting in session exporting that midi yes. into an audio file yeah yeah you know just solo that instrument mm -hmm. you know uh select the section uh, bounce that out and then you know you can redrag that in and, and, it, and it will be the same right all right, Saif asks, how much RAM does your PC have right now and what libraries have you been using lately? 
Oof. Okay, so you're gonna. I think everyone's gonna be surprised. My computer right now has 16 gigabytes of RAM, which is not enough. Wow. I don't. I I can no longer. I can no longer deal with 16 gigs of RAM. Um, it's it's too small for me. But as I said, I found lots of different inventive ways to get around that, and and I really don't. I don't struggle an awful lot. I don't. How much do you have, Chess? Do you do you have anything more? Do you have 32? <laughs> I have 64. <laughs> 64 gigs of RAM. Mm-hmm. Do you have a PC or is it a Mac? It's a Mac. Is it a Mac Pro? Mac Mini. Mac Mini? Yeah. One of, one of the new ones or one of the old ones? The new ones. With 64 gigabytes of RAM? Yeah, I personally took it apart and then bloop, bloop, put in the little cards in there. Really? Now, that is extremely inventive and a very uh, uh, economical way of going about it without spending a ridiculous amount of money. Listen, RAM is important. I don't have an awful lot of RAM. I... I do need to upgrade at some point, but maybe I should be a perfect example of there are ways to get around it because I've managed to get around it for so long. And I, I still deal with, 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 with massively heavy sessions with 16 gig, gigabytes of RAM. It's just finding ways of, you know, freezing tracks and exporting different things and not just being lazy and putting a reverb plugin on every single instrument you have. As nice as that is, it's, it's sometimes not necessary. Yeah. All right, so I have some more questions. Can you explain for the beginning composer, how does licensing yeah. work? And then what does a contract have to contain? Yeah, okay. So I actually very, very, very rarely license music out. I very rarely do that. I 99.9% of the time I'm composing my own original music. Mm-hmm. Are you talking about, are you talking about specifically like contracts? Like yeah, contracts, started? yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I, I would say this really applies for new clients. If, you, if you're working with a client for the first time, having a contract is an extremely important thing to protect your work because you have never worked with this client before and you really need a safety net. And your contract is your safety net because you, at the end of the day, you don't know what that director or producer is going to do. If there could be an awful thing, I, I really hope this doesn't happen to anyone. It hasn't happened to me yet, touch wood. But the director could, you could compose the music and he could take off with it. He, he, might, not, he might not pay you for what you've done or he might take the music and, and distribute it everywhere. And if you don't have a contract or some form saying this is our agreement before we got started, there's nothing to protect you. So having a contract is really important. I actually, nine times out of 10, I send the director a contract that I have written up myself because I am comfortable I'm, I'm very comfortable with the contract I've written up because I know it includes exactly what I want it to. And you can find templates online. You can find lots of different things. Just type in composing contracts and there will be lots of draft ones that you can kind of download, make your own little versions of it, make your changes where you want to. And that's a really good way of doing it. I always, 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 always do that with new clients because you, you need to have a safety net. But for example, if it's a client I've worked with three, four, five times, I'm comfortable with, with, with them. I trust them. We have a good relationship. I don't generally do a contract because I know I can trust them. I know they're not going to break their agreement. We have a good working relationship. It becomes a little less important then, but for new clients, it's an absolute must. It's an absolute must. Right. So going off this scenario, can you mention, yeah. uh, tell the new composers here, what is in the contract, the major you know, elements of a contract? Well, it just said, as I said, you'll you'll see these examples when you Google them. Um, it's very simple. It just basically says that I, as the composer, you know, retain, you know, agree to 
license my music to, you know, title of the film mm -hmm. to the director of title of the director, you know, and then it could say, it could say things like, um, uh, I, as the composer maintain or retain all of the rights to the music. And I'm only specifically licensing, uh, the music for use in the film, but that it doesn't mean that there is any ownership. Uh, by the director or by the film. It's just outlining very, very, very clearly about the rights of the music, mm -hmm. okay? That's what you need to be careful of because you need to make sure that you own that. And if for any reason they were to take off or not pay you, you have this form that they will have signed that almost legally binds them to your terms and conditions. And that's really, really important. That's really all it is, Cheska. It's not, it's not incredibly complicated, but as I said, there are tons of examples online if you want to go and look at them. Right. Yeah, there definitely are. So and I'm sorry, just to just to butt in there, if, if anyone wants me to send them an example contract, I'll be very happy to do so. Um, if you DM me on Instagram, I, I I will send it to you just 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 to save you having to go and find stuff. So just wanted to sit put that out there. Wonderful. Yeah. I I noticed that a lot of the new composers that I've talked to that's something that intimidates them when it comes to, you know, starting a new project. If you're new and you don't know anything about how to protect yourself, you know, having that contract ready, like it's just another thing standing in the way of um, not getting your first client. And so yeah. I love that you've, you know, mentioned that you can go online and find these things, but I guess I wanted to get more specific because this, okay, this sure. specific person they were wondering about non-exclusive, exclusive. This is more licensing, but um, could you go more in depth? Like as you were earlier, like I am the composer, like, like you know, doing this music for this film because in, in my um, personal contract, like I also mentioned that if they promote the film and use it on different pieces of media to like post online, I also take that into account. Like I say in my contract, like, yes, it's okay for you to, you know, post something with my music on it that wasn't initially part of the film production process post to like, you know, share online, social media, whatever. Can you be a bit yeah. more specific? Well, I, I don't know. I, I think when I, when I write for a film, you know, when I write for a film, I, I, to be honest with you, I'm perfectly happy for them to, to use my music in whatever way they see fit, whether it be advertising or anything like that. Because in my opinion, it's free advertising. It's free advertising for your music. It's it's getting pushed out there to more people. They might even sponsor the post. They might even pay money to get that thing sent out on Instagram and Facebook. Nine times out of 10, uh, they'll have you credited on that. That's very important. I always demand this. If they're going to use the music in your promotional and their promotional material for their films you the the one thing i ask for is to be credited in yeah, the, that's the major the, part the, of the, this the, yeah the description you know if they were going to use my music and not credit me at all not say that the music was by me i would have a problem with it mm -hmm. but listen as far as i'm concerned if the director or producer is a nice person and you ask them to credit you they will say yes and if they want to go and use that to promote the film, to advertise the film, there has never been an occasion where I've said no, because I've there have been times when I've got clients from that. There have been times when I've got messages and followers and interactions from that. And it's free advertising. That's what it is. So I personally don't have a problem with it. That doesn't mean that anyone else, no, 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 that's no. not necessarily how you should do it or, or anyone else. That's, that's my very 
personal approach. But I, is there any more specifics you want me to go into in term, in relation to that? No, actually, I really love the perspective that you shared on that because the template that I use was given to me by a friend that actually went to school for composing. And I think that our conversation right, right now is so, so special because like I'm kind of in between, like I'm surrounded by people that never went to school for this. I'm surrounded by people that got masters in film scoring. And so what I've noticed now is that you have like a very practical and you know, you're, you're not squeezing the life out of your music every time you put it out there. Whereas, you know, the no. people that I've been surrounded by that went to school for this, I think that they've been like, you know, drilled at school to protect their music and, you know, be the one that knows it all going into the agreement and, you know, doesn't just hmm. like, they know what they're doing to the point where like, they're very, very nitty gritty specific in their contracts. And that is the contract no. that was passed down to me. And but I love your perspective because it's true. You, like it's free yeah, advertising. It's, it's true. It is. And, and just the thing you have to realize, it just made me laugh. Um, unless you, you know, I think what you said about your friends being very nitpicky about their contracts and things like that. I totally understand that. Listen, if they've been drilled to learn that kind of stuff at school, I get it. I mean, that's okay. But you can lose a client over a contract being overcomplicated. You can lose a client by sending them a contract and they just go, this is too much. This is too much. I don't want to, this feels like I'm signing away my life. They don't want that. You, as I said before, you want to make it as easy for the client as possible. I'm not saying you should give your music away, but if they're using your music and promotional material, in my from my perspective, it's free advertising. As long as you're credited, that's amazing. And you know, unless you are, unless you are Hans Zimmer or maybe not Hans Zimmer, but unless you are 10 years ahead of where I am or you are, and we're really making a living and working on big feature films, it, it maybe would matter a bit more then about getting the specifics right, because they're, they're going to be bigger films, bigger budgets. They're going to be really, really important to get that contract right. But listen, at our, at our age, at the standard of music that we're writing for these different projects, it really shouldn't be that complicated. It's free advertising. It's a way of getting yourself out there more. And really, from my, pers my personal perspective, that's all that matters. I love that. That is awesome for anyone here to hear right now, because there's a lot of new composers here. So thank you for that. Yeah. All right. Yeah, of course. No worries. All right. So Saif has another question. Do you take interns while you're working on a project? I've never, no. I, so I'm definitely not at the stage where I would like offer, um, you know, an, an internship to anyone just because I, I don't know. I don't feel like I'm at the stage where I could confidently teach someone. I still, I feel that I, I still have a lot to learn, you know? I think we as composers will always be learning, but I'm definitely not at the level where I'd feel comfortable sitting there and going, this is exactly the way it should be done because I am still learning every single day. Um, I don't know if there will ever be a right time where I'll go, great, now is the day to, to take an intern on. It's not going to happen like that. But I think you, I think we, I need, I definitely personally, I, I think I need a, a little bit more experience before I do, but I am 150% open to, to looking at that in the future, because I love teaching. I love helping people and having an intern on board would be amazing. That would be great. So not something I'm considering now, but definitely for the future. Wow. All right. We got six minutes left. Pile down the questions. Oh, great. So Jeffrey, 
My friend Jeffrey says, tell us about your director-composer relationships or when you have a difference in direction slash idea for a piece. Oh, so is he talking about like if, if the director and I would, would have differing opinions mm -hmm. about, about a score? Very interesting. That's a great question. That's a fantastic, fantastic question. Because I think there's always a there's always a tendency to get scared and go, oh, okay, you know, listen, I, I'll listen to you, but we'll do exactly what you want. That's not what it's about. You have to think about yourself. You are, you, you have to respect the view of the director. You don't always have to agree with it. You are there to advise. You are there to do the best for the project. And if you have a differing opinion to the director, which has happened many, many times, don't, don't be aggressive or don't shut him down or, or, or don't, don't risk the relationship, but sit him down and in the nicest way possible, explain all of the reasons why you think that your way is better than his way and if he if he is a nice person a decent person um he or she will will listen to you um there have also been times when i've sat down and explained exactly why i think that my music would work better for the scene than he or she would and they have completely pushed back and gone no this is not the way i want it to be exactly like this and if it comes to that honestly it's better to do what they want because one thing that I've really learned is it's just not worth losing a client over. It's not worth losing a relationship over. Try to, to please your client, the director, the producer, as much as you can. Because if you ruin that relationship, if you're difficult to work with, you won't be hired again. I hate to say it. You won't be hired again. And that repeat work, that reputation, the recommendations you get from the people you work with, that is absolutely essential to creating a career in this industry. You need to be easy to work with. You need to be helpful. You need to listen. You definitely need to advise to an extent. But if the director really pushes back on you and goes, this is exactly how I want to do it. I appreciate what you've said, but this is, this is my vision. I want the, the score to sound like this. You just have to kind of grit your teeth and do it. That would be my recommendation. Because as I said, it's not worth losing the client over. All right, we have another question. What are your thoughts on composers using cracked libraries? Not everyone can afford a $600 Junkie XL brass. <laughs> yeah, um, I have quite strong opinions on this um, about cracked libraries. Uh, I don't judge anyone for using cracked libraries, but I would, I would very, very strongly advise not to use them. And that's plainly because I just feel it's a little bit, it's a little bit like cheating, essentially. I feel that if you work for the six or $800 that the Junkie XL Brass Library is, which personally I don't own, just to make that very clear, I would love to own uh, Junkie XL's Brass Library. I mean, it's incredible, who wouldn't? But I feel that if you work hard and you earn the money to buy those libraries, you are going to appreciate that so much more. And the way I buy libraries is once I finish a big project, I tend to like reward myself by buying myself a new library. And that's a really good way of sort of patting yourself on the back and going, yes, you know what? I finished a big project. I did great. I'm going to re reward myself by spending a, a, a little bit of that money, reinvesting it into my business and buying another library. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a better way to do it, in my opinion. So crack libraries would definitely not be something I would recommend. Um, you're also taking money away from these artists who mm -hmm. put lots of time and effort into making them. It's really, really important to respect that, especially for like things like BBC Symphony Orchestra um, and things like that. I mean, they, all those all those musicians get royalties from the sales of the libraries. 
which is really, really important. And if you really care about our industry and you care about music, you know, you need to think about them as well. They're trying to make a living just as much as you are. And uh, those royalties are extremely important to them. So I always think going the authentic way and purchasing the libraries through your own money is the best way to go. Um, but as I said, I don't judge anyone who does because as, you know, money doesn't grow on trees. <laughs> All right. So actually I have one last question for you to wrap this up. So I want you to think about young Taryn, like composing for the first time. What would you tell him? Like what, what question have we not asked oh. you? If I had to look back on me, you know, like three years ago and just, uh, yeah, that's a really interesting question, Cheska. Um, if I had a, if, if I could look back on myself and, and tell myself something from where I'm sitting right now, it would just be to, don't be scared. Don't be scared to do this. Like I, I never in a million years thought I'd be sitting here like where I am today, having worked on the projects that I have. It's about having confidence. You can't be scared of, of, of this industry. You have to have faith in your talents. You have to you have to work hard, um, but you can do this if you if you want it enough and you work hard enough. You can you can get to where I am much further than where I am as well. But that is the one thing that helped me back when I was younger. I didn't have a lot of confidence. I didn't believe in myself, and that's something that has completely changed. I believe I completely believe in myself now. And that's come through proving myself wrong multiple, multiple times. You know, I never thought I'd get a TV credit. I can't read music. I, you know, it, it just doesn't make any sense to me. I never thought I'd be here, but I proved myself wrong time and time again. And that has been through consistent hard work, um, my love for music and me just kind of going, there's nothing else in this world I want to do. So have confidence in what you want to do and, and, and just don't stop no matter what happens. If you, if you face a problem, or you have a you, you're you're in a tough spot, or you're feeling down about something, or depressed, or you feel like you can't do it. You you just have to sit there and go. These hard times are. Th I learn from these hard times. You you know you, you learn from your mistakes. You just can't let them defeat you. You have to push past them, and you will be better for it. So that would be my advice. Wow, love that. All right, this is the end of the Q and A. Thank you, Taryn, for doing this. I'm gonna have the replay sent to everyone that you know, signed up in the email later this yeah. week. And then I'm also creating, you know, some summary notes on everything that you just said, because there's a lot of gold that you just dropped in this session. So great. Thank you, Tarn, for doing this. Like, how are you guys, everyone here? Like, did you guys like this? Like, how, how was it? I think Chess, there was just one more thing. Um, there was one more thing that I saw come up in the chat that I just quickly want to touch on because it's a little bit important. It's just about mixing. Oh, uh, all right. I, I think it, Joanna just said, do you mix your own music on your door or do you hire someone else to mix it for you? I mix my own music and I think it's extremely important you learn how to mix. Um, it's a great skill you'll have. It's a great skill you'll take with you. It's really, really important. Um, it will make your music sound better and have an understanding of why the things you're doing are making your music sound better is so important. It will make your music better in the long run. And just taking time to understand what EQ does, what compression does, what, what limiters do, and that is essential. That separates your music. Good mixing separates your music from other people. And um, it also saves you money having to, having to pay, <laughs> having to pay a professional mixer uh, an awful lot of money to mix your music for you. So I would definitely recommend learning to, to mix yourself. Mm -hmm. um, 
but yeah, everyone seems to have enjoyed. I'm very, very, very happy. Um, and I would just say if anyone has any other questions, anyone wants me, wants to ask me anything, please feel free to, 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 um, reach out to me on Instagram and I'll be happy to have a conversation and, and just, and talk. Right. And your Instagram is at Taryn underscore Mitchell. Yeah. I'll, I'll just, I'll just put it in the chat now. So it's, um, Taryn underscore Taryn underscore Mitchell. That is my Instagram. If anyone wants to reach out and ask me absolutely anything, that is my Instagram to do it from. All right. And then I think one more thing. What are your favorite resources? What can we send our new composers to today? What What are your favorite resources? Your favorite Listen, resources? YouTube, 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 YouTube. I can't, I can't, I can't stress this enough. YouTube channels. Uh, Christian Henson from Spitfire Audio. Incredible. I love his stuff. I have learned so much from his YouTube channel. Um, he makes incredible videos about everything from orchestration to starting out with composing to mixing and mastering your own music to how to get clients. He's incredible. He is the number one guy. I love watching his his um his videos and I learn so much stuff from it. The other person I mentioned earlier guy. is Guy Mitchell mm -hmm. Moore. Guy is incredible. He makes everything easy to understand. He's a very fun, energetic, friendly guy. Um, and yeah, he's amazing. If, if you're someone who's scared of the theory side and, and, and doesn't really like the technical aspect of music, um, but you want to learn, Guy Mitchell Moore is the guy to do it. He makes everything fun and I have learned so much from him. So that would those would definitely be my two uh, biggest channel recommendations. I, I have learned so much. Perfect. Anything else? Oh yeah, don't forget to link the, the business course that you yes. mentioned earlier, right? I'm going to put the, the, the business course is going to be in my bio. In and your apart bio. From okay. that, just for, just for anyone who doesn't know, I'm sure everyone does. Um, free sample packs are incredible. Free sample instruments are incredible. Go and check out piano book. It's a, it's a, uh, piano book is a community, um, of composers who make their own sample instruments. They are incredibly unique. They're incredibly interesting and they're all free for contact player. You can download them. Just go to pianobook.com and you will find them all on there. You have Spitfire Labs. Obviously, it's incredible, amazing selection of mm -hmm. free instruments. These are just some resources for people who uh, might not want to spend uh, the kind of money on these big professional sample libraries. Um, Spitfire Labs and Pianobook. Amazing. Incredible. Perfect. All right. Well, enjoy the rest of your day or night, guys. Thank you. And I'll hopefully see you guys soon. Great. Speak to you soon, Chesco. Bye. Thank you very much. See ya. Bye. Bye. Wasn't Tarn awesome? Oh my gosh, what a great conversation. I was so nervous, but whatever. I learned so much and so did the people there. If you were there, I just want to say thank you for the millionth time. Thank you. Lastly, please leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. It'll help other aspiring media composers like you find the show. Every week, you can expect one mini episode from me about my story, my journey, and the lessons I've learned. And once a month, one big long episode just like this uh, of a Q&A session I hold with a composer I admire. I can't wait for you to listen to the next episode, so stay tuned.